in glory. And so that is going to be our Advent time, focusing on the coming of Jesus. Um, But before we kind of jump into our text in Romans 13 today, let me at least reorientate us to where we've been in the book of Romans, just by way of reminder. Firstly, Romans, if you're visiting with us, Romans is a book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul, follower of Jesus, to the church that begun in Rome. Um, Chapters 1 to 3, I'll be very speedy, chapters 1 to 3 is Paul kind of making his case, laboring that humanity stands underneath the judgment of God because of our collective sin, our active rebellion against God and our passive going with the the, the flow of times against his will. Um, Very, very occasionally, but it has happened occasionally and very occasionally, we will cop a criticism at this church that we talk about sin a bit too much. It's like, wait until you hear about Jesus, right? Um, Friends, if there is no sin, then there is no need for a savior. Quite simply as that. And so the Bible is going to draw our attention to the problem of sin and present us with the, problem, uh, the, the solution of Jesus. Here's what Paul says. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the problem is universal in its scope and it is catastrophic in its effects. We are underneath the judgment of God. But this is what he goes on to say straight after that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. So that's the good news of the gospel. God has made a way for us to be righteous. We, we, it kind of culminates in Romans 8.1 where we're told that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. Yes, someone got it. I was, it was a test. It was a test. When we did that, however long ago, there was a rule that whenever anyone said Romans 8.21, there has to be an amen, at least one amen. And uh, well done. It was Ian, wasn't it? Yeah. High five. You got my back. What this... <laughs> it was wonderful, yeah. Um, no, it was Matt's joke. What this verse is saying to us is that for the Christian, our judgment day is not somewhere out in the future, but it is 2,000 years ago. For the Christian, on that hill in Jerusalem, the justice due our sin was fully and finally exhausted in Christ. And now, this is warning here, now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. A little bit better. We've got to work on that. Romans, Romans 9 through 11 then took like put, put down that main argument and turned to the question of Israel, its part of the story. Has God been faithful to Israel? So we did that for a little while as well. But then we turned a big corner when we hit Romans 12. Chapter 12 is a big corner in the book of Romans. We went from focusing on theology, big picture theology, deep dives into the inner workings of salvation to ethics, how it is we are to live in light of the glory of God and the grace of God revealed to us. How is it we are to live in this world? And so since then, we've been painting this picture. It's been awesome. We've been painting this picture of the kind of life Jesus wants us to lead. And I hope you notice, it's basically just the life Jesus lived, wasn't it? We've been looking at this radically counter-cultural message, and it's, it's counter-cultural no matter where you live in the world, but I feel like it's particularly countercultural for us to live these kinds of life of sacrifice and blessing our enemies and humility, all these 
things. We've talked about genuine love for one another, brotherly affection, sisterly affection, familial love among us, humility, that we would count ourselves as lesser than others, a service, that we would serve one another with our lives, that we would honor one another, we'd outdo one another in showing that honor, that we would extend welcome and love to the stranger, the outsider, because Jesus is the one who has welcomed us. And finally, uh, last week, week before, loving our enemies, even as they persecute us, praying for them, blessing them. And then last week, Matt uh, looked at our responsibility, our biblical responsibility to the government and how that is to play out as well, Um, which brings us to our passage today, and it very much continues the theme of Romans 12, just love love. So let me read it, and then I'll pray for us once more, and we'll jump in. Romans 13, from verse 8 through to 14. It's a great passage. Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard that somewhere, haven't we? From the lips of Jesus. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, For salvation is nearer to us now than when you first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today for us as we pray every week, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear this message. Lord, we know that we need that. We know that these truths are spiritually discerned. We need your Holy Spirit today to speak through this passage so we might know your will for our lives, might know your calling on our lives, and we might know what it means to live lives of love and holiness and light. To pray for your presence and your voice to be strong and loud this morning. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we've got clearly two parts of the passage, love and holiness, love and light. Um, we're going to first see that um, living in light of the time, that it's now daytime, as you said, it leads us into lives of love and holiness. That's, that's the big idea of our passage. Let's jump into verse 8. He says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Uh, the first part there, owe no one anything. Some have taken that to mean um, that 
we should never incur debt of any kind. So if you've got a mortgage, bad news, you've got to sell your house and um, get out of that. Um, that's not what he's talking about. Even Jesus assumes debt as part of kind of living. What it's saying is be true to your word. If you borrow money, pay it back. If you owe money, pay it back. Be true to your word. Another translation says this, let no debts remain outstanding. So if you have debt, pay it back. That's just quite, quite straightforwardly what he's saying, right? Um, however, there is an exception. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another. He's saying that love is a debt that we never, ever pay off. It is an infinite debt that hangs over our heads. Why? Because love fulfills the law of God. Love fulfills the law of God. We can never go, we can never kind of arrive at a place where, we've, where we can say, I've loved enough today. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. Every Christian here has an infinite loan at the bank of Jesus. And we are paying that thing off until we die. Good news. It's actually good news. It doesn't sound like good news, but trust me, it is good news. But get this. Where's the payment go? Where's that bank transfer go each month? Not to him. <laughs> to one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another. He's commanded us to pay off our debt through our mutual love for one another. It's as if Jesus has given us a credit card each and, and commanded us to max out the limit. Max it out. But guess what? There's no limit. <laughs> So you are, go to town on that thing, right? The credit card has no limit. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, he shall not commit adultery. He lists a few here. Murder, stealing, coveting, any other commandment. It's summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the fulfilling of the law. Fulfilling the law. What does it mean to fulfill the law? In, in my mind, I have this, this kind of idea. It's, it, it's, it's answering the question, what am I supposed to do with my life? Have you ever had that question? What am I, what am I actually supposed to be doing with my life? What is God's will for my life? Should I be an electrician or a nurse or a teacher? Or maybe a lawyer. Don't think anyone's ever actually should be a lawyer. No, that's not true. Should I live? There's too many lawyers in the room to say that. Um, should I live in Brisbane or should I live in Darwin? Again, I don't think anyone's ever had that conundrum. Um, what should I do with my life? The Bible's going to tell us, here's God's will for your life. This is what it means to fulfill the law of God with your life. Love one another. Isn't it profoundly simple? God's will for your life. Love one another. Put your heart and soul into that, into loving him and loving one another. That is the fulfilling of the very law of God according to Paul here. Verse 11 says this, Besides, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come from you to wake from sleep. As a preacher, it's pretty exciting that I get to tell everyone to wake up. <laughs> hey guys, wake up. In my house, there is a running joke among me and my wife. 
she's here. Yep. That I have incredible capacity for faff. Are you familiar with the word faff? Um, I mean, if I was a superhero, I'd be faff man. I have superhero, superhuman faff powers. To give a formal definition, I had to Google it to try to find it. Um, to spend time in ineffectual activity. What are you doing? I don't know, but I'm doing a lot of it. I don't know what it is, but I'm, it's, 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 it's busy, right? Um, so to use it in a sentence, can you please try not faffing this morning for once in your life, Mike? Uh, that's an example of how you might use it in a sentence. Um, now, inevitably, this has led me into moments where uh, I've ended up late for something because I've just lost track of time. This is like, it's, I've gotten lots better, but I was pretty bad a while back. Uh, and then, so I lose track of time, and all of a sudden, Larissa would ask the dreaded question. Do you realize what time it is? <laughs> Nothing good has ever happened after that question. It's been a lot of anti-faff after that, a lot of effectual activity. It turns out that knowing what time it is powerfully dictates your life and your direction and what you're, what you're doing. Anyone that has woken up at the wrong time thinking that it's you know, time to go to work and you're an hour, a couple of hours early knows that, right? Or if you're doing the daylight savings thing and you're an hour out and you realize you're late for something. Knowing the time is important. How much more true is that spiritually speaking? Do you know what time it is? That's what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 16. He's addressing the Pharisees here because the Pharisees did not know what time it is. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show a sign from heaven. He answered them, When you say, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. They ask him for a sign, and Jesus responds, you shouldn't need a sign if you knew what time it was. You don't need a, time, uh, a sign from heaven. You need to know what time it is. And I wonder what Jesus would say to us today about that. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? This is what he tells us. You know the time. You know that it's the hour has come for me to wake up. To wake up. The Greek language actually has, has two words for the word time. We just have the one word time. Greek has two words. The first word is chronos, which you might recognize from the word chronological or chronology. Um, it's about the passing of time, right? Days, hours, minutes, seconds, centuries. It's the, it's the steady ticking of the clock. It's the chronos. There is another word, which is the word in view in both of these passages in Romans and in the words of Jesus. Kairos. Kairos is about the moment, the due season, the appointed moment, the appointed time. It's, it's the difference. The difference between chronos and Kairos is the difference between you know, a best man coming to his groom as he's getting ready for his wedding, and the best man comes to him and says, mate, it's 10.13 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's Thursday. It's 22nd of November. 2022, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Right? It's the difference between that and the, the best man coming to the groom and saying, mate, it is time. Do you see the difference? It is time. Kairos is the existential moment of opportunity and decision. 
It's the time. It's the time. Do you know what time it is? Jesus isn't saying to the Pharisees, you guys don't know it's a Wednesday. He's saying you don't know what time it is. Paul is saying you know the time. You know the kairos. You know that it is the moment of decision and opportunity right now. And the hour has come for you to wake up. Time has come to wake up. It is not night time anymore. It's not the night time. It's not time to be stumbling ignorantly in the dark. So wake up. Get up. The day has dawned. Friends, the day dawned 2,000 years ago in the coming of Christ. Revelation 22, uh, 16, the last, very last paragraph of the Bible. We see the last name of Jesus, the last time Jesus is referenced in the Bible. Guess what he's called? He's the bright morning star. The bright morning star. This is literally the last time Jesus is mentioned in the Bible. That's the name that Revelation leaves ringing in your ears as you finish the pages of the Word of God. He is the bright morning star. He is the light that splits the darkness and ushers in a new age. Age of light, age of love, age of life. So now that he's come, now that he's here, what time is it? Do you know what time it is? The Bible actually has, has a phrase to describe the age that we live in, the times that we are living in right now. Uh, the phrase is the last days. We're in the last days. Got a little graphic to help us understand the last days. The last days means that we're, we're living currently in the now of the present age, that is the world we live in, and the not yet of the age to come. We're living there. When Jesus rocked up, he said, what? The kingdom of God is at hand right now. Well, look outside. It's still pretty dark out there. Well, the ages, it, it, it started, but it's not fully arrived. And so we're sandwiched between, in between the first and second coming of Jesus in these last days where the kingdom has dawned, and yet we are still living under the present age. Jesus says we're waiting, we're awaiting a final consummation to come. And so friends, you know the time. This, I don't think this is news to you. You know the time. Day has dawned. Light has come. Christ is here. You know the hour. It's come for you to wake from sleep. Get this. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night has gone, and the day is at hand. It's Revelation, uh, Romans 11 and 12. Which means every day you wake up, every day this week when you wake up, you will be one day closer to your final redemption. One day closer. You, you don't live forever. I hope you know that. There's a day coming. It is absolutely out there. We will stand before our maker. You need to think on that. You have a finite number of days. Those of us who are still quite young, we don't really believe that that's true. We learn that as we live longer. Life teaches us that there is a day coming when all history is going to wrap up. Whether he comes back or I have a heart attack. Right? Whichever one it is. 
Martin Luther, he famously said this, that there are two days on my calendar. This day and that day. I love how simple that is and how clear that is. There's two days you need to worry about. This day right now that God has given you to live, to follow him, to love, to live life of holiness. And then there is that day when he returns or I die. Two days on the calendar that actually matter. The rest is detail. We are all closer to that moment that is coming for us all than when I first started talking. I am one sermon less down before the end. You are all one service at inaugural less down. And now we're closer again than when I first started saying that part. Do you feel it? It's the chronos. <laughs> Some of you in this room need to hear this urgently. Urgently. You are living as if that day is not out there. You don't have to be a spiritual, religious person to know that you're going to die. It's just facts. Spiritual things for you are well and truly on the back burner as you look after the more important parts of life. The Bible's telling you, wake up. Wake up. You're living as if you'll never stand before him. You're living as if your sin does not matter in his eyes. And you're living as if your holiness is inconsequential. Jesus is going to speak sharply to us, those of us in that boat. That's what he says in Matthew 7, from verse 21. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, these are not empty words from Jesus. He means this. There are going to be people in that last day who think their mere confession to Christianity is enough to have them inherit eternal life. And Jesus is saying it's an empty confession. It means nothing. I don't know who you are. You're a worker of lawlessness. You don't care about living a life of holiness that pleases your father. Jesus is saying that there are going to be confessing Christians. I pray not in this church, but there'll be confessing Christians who, on that last day, he will say, your life shows no, no sign of true repentance, no pursuit of holiness, no love for me. I don't know you. These are not empty words from Jesus. He is trying to warn us something. That's why these words are in the Bible. They're a warning to us all to take stock, check our watches, figure out the time, and figure out the, the sincerity of our faith. Do we care about our sin? Or does your lackadaisical approach to your faith and your holiness and your service of the Lord show that you have an empty confession? Let me ask you again, do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? Because if we do, it's going to keep us from living self-centered lives, 
focused on ourselves in this world and we're going to live lives that matter. Because out there in this world, the sermons we're getting preached outside of the Christian faith in the world, the, the, the media, culture, the sermons we're getting spoon-fed every day in every ad we watch, every movie we watch, every magazine we read, right? The, the, the sermons we're getting spoon-fed is make the most of right now because tomorrow you might die. So live it up. And Paul's saying, well, yes, make the most of now because tomorrow you might die, but you've got to stand before him then. There's a big, big but. Yes, exactly. You're going to be standing before your maker. Again, God's trying to get your attention. <laughs> Some of you in this room, you have not been following him. You know you haven't. It's time to come back to him. It's time to check your watch, check the time, cast off the works of darkness, and come back to your Savior. So, wake up. Know the hour. The night is far gone. The day is here. I, you've got no excuse. Christ has come. The message is clear. You know what's going on. Right? Don't pretend you're in the dark anymore. It's daytime. Verse 12. So that. This is, this is what we're called to do. Because of that, let us cast off the works of darkness. Can we call sin what it is? It is the works of darkness. And what are we called to do? Put on the armor of light. That's a good trade. Let us walk properly. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in that kind of Vegas bachelor party scene. Not we're going to put off that. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. We're going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So the nearness of the end, the fact that he is coming back and the day is out there, summons us to put off evil, to put on light, and even more specifically, to put on Christ himself, dress ourselves in him. He lays out a, a few specific sins here that he wants to keep us from. Firstly, excessive drinking and partying, that scene, the party scene, the Vegas bachelor scene, as I said, right? God says, no, no, it's daytime now. That is improper for a person of faith. We know it's daytime. It's not befitting a Christian. Sexual immorality, which is the nice big broad term in the Bible, just kind of says anything that is outside of God's explicit plan for sexuality. Anything that sits outside of his purpose, right? Sexual capacities were given to us by God for a purpose, to be enjoyed within the safety of marriage between one man and one woman. That's what it was given for. And anything outside of those explicit boundaries, the Bible's just going to call it sexual immorality. So using the gift improperly. And so harming ourselves and, and sinning against him. And finally, the last category, quarreling and jealousy. That gets a shout out as well. Just think any reality TV show you've ever seen, ever, right? People watch those shows because it is fun to watch people doing this. Let's kind of acknowledge that, that that's not good for a Christian as well to indulge in those kind of things, those petty dramas. So let's put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
uh, these verses actually have had an incredible influence in the life of the church historically. Because these verses, God used these words in particular in the conversion of probably the most significant, influential Christian leader, sandwiched between like Paul, who wrote Romans, and Martin Luther, John Calvin in the 1500s, right? Augustine tells us in his book, Confessions, that he was converted directly through reading these verses. He was a North African bishop who lived from 354 to 430. so a long time ago. And he speaks of how he was enslaved to sexual sin and enslaved to the praise and applause of people. This is what he said by his own admission when he went off to college. He said this. He said, I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. The university scene has come a long way since then, clearly. He says this, my real need, get this, he says, my real need was for you, my God, who are the food of the soul. I was not aware of this hunger. I was willing to steal, and steal I did, although I was not compelled by any lack. He was stealing for fun, just because he could. I was at the top of the school of rhetoric, that is like public speaking. I was pleased with my superior status, and I was swollen with conceit. It was my ambition to be a good speaker for the unhallowed and inane purpose of gratifying human vanity. He just had an ego that he wanted to feed, and it was a starving ego. And so he lived for the applause of others. I love how he called it the unhallowed and inane purpose of gratifying human vanity. So here's a man, young man, Incredibly gifted, enslaved to his passions, enslaved to his lust, enslaved to the praise of others. And then God meets him and transforms him. On one day, he was in such despair, he is on the ground in tears, in this kind of soul sickness. When he hears a voice outside, this is what he wrote about that day. He said, I was saying these things and, and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart. When suddenly the voice of a boy or a girl, I know, no, I know not which, coming from the neighboring house, chanting over and over again, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. So he takes this as a sign from God, and he goes to his Bible, he opens it up randomly, don't recommend it, but hey, it worked for him opened it randomly, and he reads the first thing his eyes fall on, which is our passage today. It cut him to the quick. The Holy Spirit, you know, the, the Word of God is, 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 a, is living and active, penetrating to the soul, marrow, bone. That's what happened that day. It went deep. He says, I had no wish to read more. He read two verses. He says, I had no wish to read more and no need to. For in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. He was 32 years old, bound, enslaved to sin. And the Lord just 
put the light of the gospel in his heart in a moment. Here's how he describes what happened that day. He says, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true sovereign joy. You dropped them. You took them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. I share this story because this is an old story of a man experiencing the gospel coming on him for the first time. God still does this. He's the same God who did, who, who did this to Augustine, does this for us today. He still frees people from bitter slavery, from those fruitless joys, as he calls them, to bring us to what is even better. He is still very much in the business of taking the soul sick, sinner, those who are poor in spirit, and bringing them to deep joy in the only place it can be found. So, Anogra, do you know what time it is? Jesus is coming back. Because it's daytime, we are now to walk in love. We are owe each other love, Christ says. And we are to walk in the light of holiness. We take our sins seriously. And we bring it to his feet to receive his grace. And... <laughs> Listen, when we're, when we're there, okay, when we're on that day, if you kind of can cast your minds forwards, when we're on that day, what do you think we're going to be thinking about? What things are going to fill up our mind when we're standing before him in glory and he's standing before him, us in all of his glory and our eyes are stuck on him, we are not going to be thinking about how we wish we loved a little bit less because it was costly. We're not going to be wishing that we had taken holiness a little bit less seriously we're not going to be wishing that um, we, did, we never really had to sacrifice anything for our faith. How can we think those thoughts when we're standing in front of his glory? On that day, you're going to be thinking about how glad you are that it was all worth it. Every sacrifice, worth it. Because he is my king. You're going to be thinking about how amazing it is that his grace covers all of my sin and my failure. You're going to be thinking about how amazing it is that you have some share with this king. Because look at him in his glory. He is the bright morning star. None of us are going to live forever. So let's reckon with that. Let's repent of our short-sightedness, of which we are all prone to. Let's wake up to the kairos that is in front of us, the time of opportunity and decision it is now. Let's repent of our selfishness. Let's go to him now in prayer. I'm going to give you just a minute or two to sit with him, confess, repent, ask for his grace, and I'll close for us in prayer in a moment. So you'll have a moment now. Just bow your heads.
Revelation 22 says this. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take from the water of life with that price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for us now, for all of us. Lord, we want to live in light of the time. So I pray you give us eyes to see the time. We'd know what it means to live in the now and the not yet. Those last days. Help us to keep a perspective of eternity that shapes our daily living. Lord, Lord, empower us to live lives of of love and holiness, Lord. We want to follow you. We know we're weak. We know we have limitations. Lord, our flesh is weak. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit's power. Lord, would you grow the things in us that you would have grow in us, Lord. Fruit of the Spirit, love, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, would these things grow in us forever? For those of us in this room who know that we have not been in step with your gospel, we've not been living life with you, there is a chasm of distance between us and you. Lord, for those people right now, I pray that they would hear these words in Revelation, Lord, and hear the invitation to come and get and receive life, to come drink with that price from the fountain, from the living water of Christ. It's a Holy Spirit. Would you, would you do the work that you did in Augustine in us? Drive out those fruitless joys. Take their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. Lord, you made us for yourself. As Augustine said, Lord, and, and, and we'll never find fulfillment outside of you, Lord. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord. Would we come receive that treasure? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.